Greetings from uh, the Genix family. Uh, we have been on a 48-hour uh, sprint the past two days. Uh, we celebrated Christmas with my family and then my wife's family and then my home church in central Illinois this morning. Uh, so I send you greetings from my family who's at home getting ready for school tomorrow. We'll be here as a whole family next week. Uh, I send you greetings from my home church in central Illinois, uh, where we were this morning. Uh, they're thrilled to know that a church like you all would take us in uh, when we're away from everybody and everything that we know as we pursued what the Lord uh, called us to be and do. I send you greetings from uh, our Mission Church family as well. I'm just bringing all kinds of greetings tonight, okay? I wish I had all these people behind me, uh, but I, I sure don't. Uh, so yes, full disclosure, the past 48 hours have been a bit chaotic, uh, celebrating Christmas with family and church family. Uh, I preached this very sermon three times this morning at my home church, and this will be round four. Uh, so it's either getting better as we go or worse as we go. And what I'm thinking is, if this goes well, glory to God. If it doesn't, blame Fenska, all right? <clears throat> He's got big enough shoes to take it, all right? All right. But I do mean it when I say, uh, when I grew up in central Illinois, we would use a phrase, you're a sight for sore eyes. Uh, that means it's, I'm pleased to see you, very pleased to see you. And I could say that with, with great confidence. You are all a sight for sore eyes. Uh, some of you I look out and you're, you're new faces and new people. And I'm so thankful for that. Others of you will just continue to put up with, all right? Um, new people, new place, uh, but same heart for Jesus. Same heart for Jesus. And I love that and I love all of you. Uh, be glad to stick around and visit afterward as well. Um, yes, I've been tasked with giving you a short update uh, might I just show you our most recent family picture? Maybe it's already been up there. This will keep all the mice away, at least the bald guy. Uh, when I saw my brother this weekend, and he's younger than me, so that means he's more ornery, uh, he said, why is it that every year when you get family pictures done, you look older and older and your wife looks younger and younger? And I said, I don't really know. It's, it must be the four little rascals that we're raising, okay? Um, so Seth, Luke, Jude, and Anna uh, keep us on our toes, and our house is anything but quiet or boring like many of you can relate to. Uh, we did plant Mission Church uh, with a group of people, including your very own uh, Jeff and Kendra Budill and their four children um, three years ago this fall. Uh, and so maybe what I could do is just kind of pull up something that I've shared with people in the past and just kind of share with you some defining characteristics of who we are today and how we've got to where we are. I would say that two defining characteristics of our church family to date are prayer and praise. And COVID has really turned up the heat on both of these. You know, Charles Spurgeon says, prayer is the breathing in of the air of heaven and praise is the breathing out of it again. Prayer is the breathing in of heaven and praise is the breathing out of it again. So we in this season are really enjoying an Ephesians 4 type environment within our church family, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What I'd encourage you is the same thing I've encouraged my church family, our church family for so long now. It is not our job to manufacture the unity of the Spirit. We don't have to try to stir this up. We don't have to try to create it from the ground up. Our, our calling is just to maintain the Spirit that He has already given us. And then we read, of course, on in Ephesians 4 about one body, one Spirit, as we were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. So in this calendar year, some of our rhythms have included uh, gathering in person. We continue to stream online, as you do, uh, to worship Jesus in song, communion, giving, praying, studying. Uh, we spent two years in the Gospel of Luke. I know there was a time period, maybe five years ago, that you finished uh, the Gospel of Luke. That was such a consistent healthy thing for our church family in a season where there was nothing but constant change. Uh, when we finished that series right before Thanksgiving this year, we spent one Sunday where I did a very brief recap of the entire gospel, and then we had people step up and share about the impact of the gospel of Luke in their heart, mind, soul, life. Uh, it was such a great evening of sharing together. 
Uh, we've continued offering mission kids in person twice a month, providing mission kids at home. We've really tried to bridge the gospel gap from our uh, church gatherings to our families at home, and that really didn't miss a beat through this past season, which we're really thankful for. Uh, we've enjoyed outdoor family picnics a couple times a month, food, drinks, activities, games, new people gathering with us in that way. Uh, we've rotated our groups. You know, group life is hard to navigate in this past season, especially when you're homeless and uh, we're not literally homeless. Praise God, I still have a roof over my head and my kids still have shoes on their feet. But I mean, as a church family, we didn't have our own place to meet. Uh, so we had to get creative about what group life was going to look like. So we transitioned to doing uh, kind of a different thing every week. So at the beginning of the month, we start with prayer and praise gatherings, and then we move to a women's night and a uh, kind of a mm, musical chairs night, I guess you could say, a miscellaneous potpourri night. And then... Uh, the last week of the month, we, we have a men's group, and that has proven, proven to be very uh, a good rhythm for our church family to keep up with. Um, let's see here. Yeah, we, we've started to share gatherings and student ministry and serving with our hosts where we meet off of Barnes and Prairie to the west and south of here, uh, Morningstar Community Church. They've been nothing but accommodating, gracious, kind, helpful, supportive. Some of you I saw there this week when we had the... Uh, the Christmas worship concert, Adore Him. Uh, that was a great opportunity to be together in that way. Uh, we, we did celebrate our third anniversary as a church, uh, and COVID season now marks over 50% of our church's existence. So it's just a weird season to try to navigate. I try to explain to people that it's a lot like having a 18-month-old child and going to your well check and finding out your child is going to live but he or she is going to have some serious developmental delays. And there's going to be a lot of audibles to call and a lot of therapy to walk through, but we're going to make it through together, okay? Um, so that's where we're at today. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that over the last uh, several months in general and the last couple months in particular, Morningstar and Mission have been uh, talking about, praying through, creatively thinking about our future and whether or not the Lord may have us combining our churches to make disciples more effectively uh, for the spread of the gospel in and around our area. Uh, we're in weekly conversations with their leaders, between our leaders, and there may be a decision made on that in the new year. Uh, but right now, we're taking a break. We had every Monday night meetings from the end of September to last week, and man, we're all looking forward to, uh, to a break from that for a few weeks. It's been very, very good. It's just relationally, uh, we feel a little bit spent in that regard. So uh, in the days ahead, would you please just pray for wisdom to know what's right, for courage uh, to do it, even when it's hard, for strength to persevere in it. Uh, man, I'm so, I'm so glad to see you all tonight. It's great. Now, Josh did tell me that because that was uh, above and beyond, that the timer really will start now. Okay, all right, good. I'm just making sure. This morning, I only had 30 minutes, and so we were like plowing, trucking, moving, but by the end of the day... I'm moving a little bit slower, all right? I may be 37, but I'm feeling a little older than that tonight. All right. So here's what we ought to do. You ought to go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. And I don't care how you get there. If you need to open it as an app on your phone, or you need to open a hard copy, or you just need to listen as I read, that's perfectly fine. But you find your place in Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, and today we're going to see that Jesus is with us and for us, okay? So I'll read this text, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into it together, okay? Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Oh, Jesus, the name above all names. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, we praise you and thank you for an opportunity to be gathered here together. We praise you and thank you for an opportunity to open your word that's living and active, that penetrates to the very core of who we are, and it changes us. It changes our hearts, changes our thoughts, our words, our actions, our motives. It makes us more like Jesus, the living word. And so, God, I pray that this time together in your word uh, this afternoon would be pleasing to you, that it would also be uh, very personal and practical for us, uh, and that as a result, we would bring a lot of glory to you, a lot of good to others, and we'd walk away with a ton of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you're ready, I'm ready, and we ought to get started. Okay? Why don't we go ahead and realize that in this season, like all seasons, it's always only all about Jesus. And since God comes to earth as a member of a family to make us family, we would do well to open our Bibles to look at his family and learn how to live like a family. Okay? If you can't tell, tonight we're going to talk a lot about family. Right? Jesus is with us and for us. So let's get started right here in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ takes place in this way. Now, there are many stories about Jesus, and most of them are wrong or not true. The Bible, however, is right and is true when in verse 18 it says the birth of Jesus Christ takes place in this way. This is how God comes as a member of a family to make us family. When his mother Mary has been betrothed to Joseph before they come together, she is found to be with child. Now, grammatically, you could put a period there. And if you did, we would all say, uh-oh, big problem. But it doesn't stop there, praise be to God. Instead, it reads on to say, before they come together, she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Those four words are so key, we're going to see it more than once in this text. And I think because it's repeated, we ought to give it some consideration. From the Holy Spirit. So first today, let's consider number one, Jesus' mom, Mary. Let's consider her for a bit. Uh, she's a young woman, as young as 12, no older than 20, because in Jesus' day, a girl could be betrothed as young as 12 or 13 years of age. Um, how many of you, we probably have a few in this room that are around that age range. How many of you girls are ready to raise a baby? On top of that, we're not talking about just any old baby. We're talking about the God baby, and you're like, eh, raise God. I mean, I'm still wearing braces and going to school and I can't even drive yet. You know what I'm saying? Uh, some of us think, wow, that's concerning because Mary is so young. Well, one reason it's hard for us to see this is because today people tend to wait longer, maybe into their 20s or 30s or beyond uh, to engage or be married, if at all. But Mary is young, somewhere between 12 or 20 She's living in a small rural town with only one well, dozens, maybe hundreds of people at most, farmers, fishermen far out from the city, mostly poor, with a home that would have been about the size of a one-car garage, uh, sharing uh, the space with animals oftentimes at night. But she is also preparing for her big day as she is betrothed uh, to be married. Now, you've heard me use that word several times, and sometimes we don't get what that word means. To be betrothed is to be somewhere between engaged and married. It's more legal than being engaged, but it's less legal than being married. See, according to the Bible, marriage is both a covenant and consummation. Uh, it's both a promise that we make and practices that we keep. So to be betrothed is to have made your covenant or your promise, but to have not yet consummated or put into practice the marriage vows. So they're legally married, but they haven't completed a marriage ceremony or consummated their marriage or even lived together as husband and wife. Now we'll talk more about Joseph in a minute, but Joseph is a young man, late teens, maybe 20s, likely from the same town. So Mary and Joseph likely grow up together. They know one another very well. Their families know one another. They would have worshipped in synagogue or church building together. They know in their hearts for some time that they're going to be together. And they've now reached a point where they know 
this is who I want to be with. And those of us who have been there know this is a very joyful season of Mary's young life where she is now betrothed. Her covenant is in place, her promise has been made, and their ceremony and consummation is in preparation. Now, there are many lessons that we could learn from Jesus' mom, Mary, but I just want us to consider one, uh, particularly from the text that we're considering today, and it would be this. Trust your unknown future to a known God. Trust your unknown future to a known God. That's not original to me. I think it might originate with someone like Corey Tin Boom. Trust your unknown future to a known God. There's a whole lot of unknown about a whole lot of things. But God can be known, and God is known. In fact, we are known by him, and we can know him in return. Trust your unknown future to a known God. So let's talk about this in light of Mary. You know, some make too much of Mary, while others make too little of her. But it's just right to say that Mary is the most godly woman in the Bible. Now, we could argue about that afterward, and I'll let you win. I'm fine with that. I'm not going to die on that hill. But if you think about her, from godly girl to godly young woman to godly woman, wife, and mother, from beginning to end, Mary is presented as encouraging and exemplary. And Mary is more timely than ever for women in general, but especially young women and single women because she's pure before her marriage and she's faithful in her marriage. And so Mary is not an object of our faith. She is, though, an example of faith. What I mean is that she's not using her young single years as an excuse to date losers and drink and live with her boyfriend and rack up debt and sleep around and dishonor God. No. Mary, in her young age, is preparing now for what God may have for her later. Mary is preparing today for what God may have for her tomorrow. And this is a lot like you and I. Mary doesn't know what her future holds, just like you and I don't know what our future... We, we tend to think we do. We like to prop ourselves up like we know where we're headed. But fact of the matter is, Mary doesn't know what her future holds. Mary has no idea that she'll be appointed as the mom of God's son until it's happening, until it's time. And we do know she has been faithfully obeying God for her whole life. She's been preparing for this calling. So my question, especially for you women, guys, don't tune me out here because this certainly applies to us, but especially for you women, young women, single women, how are you in faith trusting your unknown future to a known God. See, my hope and prayer is, by God's grace, that you would follow Mary's example. So if you've sinned, if you've done what you shouldn't or not done what you should, the best news of all is that Mary's son will cleanse and forgive your sin, and he will not just help you live like her by faith, he will help you become like him by faith. See, we don't know what tomorrow holds for you, and so you ought to prepare yourself today. Mary is worshiping God, opening and obeying the scriptures, maintaining purity, thinking this. Like, if we could get in Mary's brain up to this point, I know that she's thinking these things. I'm just going to marry Joseph. We'll be obscure and poor in a small rural town. I'll be a stay-at-home wife and mother. I'll fetch water from our well every day. He'll be a carpenter, work long, hard hours to put food on the table. Nobody will know about us. Nobody will ever know about us because we're nobodies in the middle of nowhere. Mary doesn't know. You know the song? I mean, we're going to hear it, right? Mary, did you know? I'm just convinced she didn't. Like, I think to some level she did, but man, she was just a human being like you and I were, right? Um, Yeah, that's debatable too. Now you're going to argue with me about that, but oh well. All right. Mary doesn't know. But she does prepare herself for what only God knows. We know that God knows. And we ought to prepare ourselves for what only God knows. So if you're waiting for God to reveal the future, so then you can prepare for it, that's not how he works. God says, no, don't wait for me to reveal the future and then get prepared for it. Instead, walk by faith now. Prepare yourself now. Be godly now. And then whatever I have for you in your future, then you'll be ready. 
Now, I know sometimes we give a hearty amen to things. If you want to, you're welcome to. That'd be a spot you'd want to go ahead and say, right on, all right? And you'll have a few more opportunities to do that. I'll kind of turn up the heat as we move. All right. Second, we ought to consider number two, Jesus' adoptive dad, Joseph. Now, I, I say adoptive parenthetically because Jesus has no earthly father, and this is significant. Could I even confess to you that I think it was probably somewhere in Bible college where I eventually, or I finally came to the realization of why this really mattered. Like he didn't inherit the sin nature that you and I inherit from our fathers because he didn't have an earthly father. His only father was his heavenly father, and that's why this is so significant. But nonetheless, Jesus' adoptive dad, Joseph, uh, this is how God comes as a member of a family to make us family. So let's consider beginning in verse 19. Notice that Joseph is already referred to as Mary's husband, her husband, Joseph. They're already covenanted and they've promised themselves to one another. Her husband, Joseph, is a just man. Not just a man, but he is a just man. This means he's faithful and good and godly and humble and kind and loving and noble and spirit-filled. This means that Joseph is the kind of man that we who have sons want to raise them to become. And this means Joseph is the kind of man that we who have daughters want to raise them to marry. This is Joseph. And if this is all we know about Joseph, then this is all we would need to know. And so, men, we could say, by God's grace, may we all be righteous men. We read on, though, in verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and willing to put Mary, uh, unwilling, rather, to put Mary to shame, resolves to divorce her quietly. We'll unpack that in a moment. But, verse 20, as he considers these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, possibly Gabriel, appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is, here it is again, not from any other old guy, not just a man, is from the Holy Spirit. So let's put ourselves in Joseph's position for a moment. Joseph is working long, hard hours to prepare himself for marriage because according to the Bible, gentlemen, marriage is for men and not for boys. See, sometimes we grow up and we inhabit uh, adult bodies, but we're really just like boys who can shave. And we're not ready for marriage like we think we're ready for marriage just because we inhabit an adult body. Marriage is for men. What this means is Joseph went out and got a J-O-B, and he moved out of his parents' house, and he pays his own bills, and he's responsible. He's not living in his parents' basement in his boxer shorts playing Call of Duty and doing whatever else with his life, okay? Um, it's all, it, there you go, now he's ready. See, we're getting warmed up. I told you it was coming. Dennis, you have never failed me. You have never failed me. You may have failed others, but you've never failed me. By the way, pray that all three of my boys aren't that guy, all right? <clears throat> what this means, though, is that Joseph is living a righteous life. He is responsible, he is worshiping God, which means even though Joseph is a young man, he is a mature man. And your age does not have to have anything to do with your maturity. Don't assume that because you're young, you can't be mature. And friends also, don't assume that because you're a little older, that automatically gives you the maturity card, okay? Uh, Joseph is not excusing uh, adolescence and immaturity as many young men do. He's not freeloading off mom and dad. He's not looking for a good time. He's looking for a wife, and he's looking for a family. He's not looking for uh, a date and sexual pleasure. Instead, he's working from a young age on building a godly legacy. He's ready to be married yesterday. And Mary's family approves of that, and God's people approve of that. And Joseph is a righteous man. It, listen, guys. It is a lot of responsibility, isn't it? And Joseph, of all men, is in his late teens or 20s, and he raises his hand for duty. He's chosen Mary, and he's probably known her since they were kids. And it's his love for her that motivates him to grow up and to mature and be responsible so that he can have as many years as possible with Mary as his wife. 
he makes that courageous move of asking Mary's hand in marriage and received both Mary's blessing and her parents' blessing as well. So now they're legally covenanted together. They've promised themselves to one another as husband and wife. The date's on the calendar. Everybody knows their wedding is coming. They're making all the arrangements for not just a day of celebrating and feasting. We need a better theology of party, do we not? I mean, as followers of Jesus, whatever happened, when did it ever change? They celebrated for a week. Can we get, let's bring that back. I mean, I'm totally down. Like that, and then you can go on a honeymoon after that. I mean, it's like, sorry, we have to have feast and celebration for a week, and then I have to go on a honeymoon for a week. So this whole thing's going to take two, and it may take even longer if I decide not to come back, all right? Like party, come on, I love it. For those of you who've, uh, who've married, you know this would be a season for Mary and Joseph full of great joy and anticipation. And then Joseph gets the most devastating news that Mary's pregnant. I can't even imagine. Like, think about this for a moment if you're Joseph. Um, I intended to use this later in the sermon, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Anybody like uh, emojis? I like emojis. I'll just be honest. If you text me, I'm going to emoji you at some point. It just happens, okay? One of my favorite emojis is the blow your mind emoji. It's like the eyeballs down are a normal face, and then above... Uh, the head has exploded, you know, the... This would have blown Joseph's mind, and it should. And it should blow our minds, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But Joseph would have been thinking, and rightfully so, wait, what? Mary? I thought she was the most godly girl I've ever known. I mean, I've been praying and waiting and working for years, and she's pregnant? And... On top of that, I'm a virgin, and we've not yet consummated our covenant, and she's pregnant. And on top of that, this was 2,000 years ago in a small, rural, mostly Jewish town, which makes it especially devastating, dare I say, even damning. Because according to the law, in their day, adultery is punishable by death, even in betrothal, which means that Joseph would even have the legal right to kill Mary or have her killed. And you know, back in the 90s, when I was a little guy, the whole what would Jesus thing, uh, what would Jesus do thing became popular and everybody's wearing wristbands and t-shirts and all that stuff. We, we should just swap out the what would Jesus do, change the J to Joseph and ask the same question, what would Joseph do? And beyond that, what would you and I do? Well, praise God that Joseph decides to divorce Mary quietly and not have her killed which means Joseph's looking at being divorced before he's even fully married. Since they're already covenanted together, it actually would require legal action on his part. So Joseph doesn't want to be with Mary, but since he's a righteous man, a just man, he doesn't want to pound her into the ground either. Instead, he wants to protect her. Even so, I can't imagine being Joseph and trying to go to bed that night. You ever had a day where you received the worst of news and that night you just couldn't fall asleep because your pillow was stained with your own tears? And yet, once he falls asleep, an angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to him during his dream, explaining that, praise God, it wasn't another man. It was, in fact, the Holy Spirit who has done a miraculous, supernatural thing that God shows up and does something that otherwise cannot be done. Friends, we believe in the miraculous, and we believe in the supernatural. And I know some of you say, this seems very uncommon and unusual that a virgin would be with child. By definition, that is a miracle. That's why we call it a miracle and not a Monday morning. An angel of the Lord shows up. He says that a miracle has happened, that Mary will give birth to a son, and that she's not sinned against Joseph in the process. Incredible. So just as there's a lesson to learn from Jesus' mom, Mary, there's a lesson to learn from Jesus' adoptive dad, Joseph, and here it is. We'll just focus on one. Love and lead the family God entrusts to you. Love and lead the family God entrusts to you. So my question, especially for you men, and gals, I'm not leaving you out here. In fact, we need you to listen because I'm not sure if the guys will. Okay, so hang with me. It's not a slam against we guys. We just need to hear stuff uh, several times. (laughs) 
especially for we men, young or old, and listen, married or single. No man is off the hook in this room, okay? How are you loving and leading the family God entrusts to you? Because by the way, this is not the family Joseph envisions. If we were in Joseph's mind before this uh, takes place, he's thinking, I'm a virgin, she's a virgin, that means she's not pregnant. Her dress does not need to be altered. Nobody will whisper at our ceremony. Nobody will ask questions about her integrity. We'll be married and live simply in obscurity in the middle of nowhere. And when we're dead and gone, nobody is going to talk about us. Now, thankfully, he couldn't be any more wrong. But men, the script you write for your future and family is different from the script that God will hand you. That, that deserves a double, a double thing, so I'm going to say that again, all right? The script you write for your future and your family is different from the script that God will hand you. So this means you will have to make a decision. Will I receive God's script or will I go write my own? Men, I'm telling you, be very careful the vision you have for your family. Make sure that you're sure that you're sure you're following and glorifying and honoring and loving the Lord. So when he hands you a script that's different than the one you write, you go with his every single time. You go with his and not your own. This is not Joseph's plan. In fact, let's think of it like this. Let's say you were interviewing Joseph for a job. You'd sit down with Joseph and you'd say, Joe, where do you see yourself in five years? And this is how he would have answered up to this point. Well, I see myself with Mary, who has a great reputation. I see us with one son who is adored by everyone. And I see that no one really knows who we are because we live quiet, simply, somewhere out in the, in the country. We would call that in the sticks where I'm from. Well, as the interviewer, you have a privileged position, and you know Joseph's future, and you have to break it to him and say, well, actually, Joseph, here's what this will look like five years from now. Instead, you will be seen as marrying a single mother who will be viewed as a local tramp, and together you will raise a son who will be seen as an illegitimate child, and you will be seen as the laughingstock of town because everyone thinks you're a joke, that your wife really cheated on you and then told you, quote, it was the Lord. And Joseph, you're going to be seen as gullible enough to believe it and raise someone else's kid. And that's what happened. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do we know that it happened? That Well, because Jesus grows up. You know, he's not just sweet little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus in swaddling clothes for the rest of his life. Thanks be to God. Um, when Jesus grows up, some hateful, self-righteous, prideful punks say to him, hey, at least we know who our father is. By the way, this is kind of the Kyle Genix paraphrase, so hang with me for a second, okay? You'll, you won't read it exactly like this, but the gist is the same. Hey, at least we know who our father is, which is one really bad way of saying your mom was with so many men, you don't even know who your dad is. And you know Jesus replies to that. And do any of you remember what he says? Your father's the devil. Which, if you're Jesus, you can zing people like that. I mean, nobody zinged people like Jesus zinged people. Zanged, zinged, it's not a word, so you can say it however you want. Okay. But men, the point is this. This is not the plan that Joseph has written for his life up to this point. So how are you loving and leading the family God entrusts to you? Because some of us may sit here, or we may hear this later, and we may think, if I'd known that she'd be like this, or I'd known that raising kids would be like that, or they'd get sick, or their family would be like this, or sins of our past would haunt us today, or they would betray me or fail me as they are, I would never have signed up for life. But not Joseph. Because Joseph raises his hand and says, that is fine. That is fine by me. I know that it'll be hard, but even more, I trust the Lord, and I trust his vision for my family is my vision for my family, no matter what. So men, if God entrusts you with a family, it is not a hardship. It will be hard work, always. But it is not a, hard, a hardship. It is an honor. 
because he's entrusted you with the woman and children that he loves, and maybe he doesn't give them to another man because he isn't sure that his daughter will be loved well or that his kids will be led well. So Joseph receives Mary and Jesus as a great honor from the Lord. He says, hey, someone needs to love Mary and raise this God child. Sign me up for that. See, sometimes God sends out the best men on the most backbreaking of missions. So if God gives you a family, man, he blesses you with an opportunity. You could go ahead and say right on or amen, all right? Okay. Now, some of you hear this, and I'll freestyle for a moment, and then we'll hop back into the notes. Some of you might hear this, and you think, well, you've pretty much only talked to, like, the married guys. Okay, well, who are we sitting amongst right now? You may be sitting here and thinking, okay, I'm too young for a wife or children. I'm now too old for a wife or children. The script that I wrote included that, but God hasn't seen fit for that to be part of his script for me. What does that mean for me? Well, if you were to look to your right or to your left or to your front or to your back, listen, God comes as a member of a family to make us family. So whether you view yourself as too young or too old or too whatever, fill in the blank, men, women, children, we make up the family of God. And this also is a family that God entrusts to our care. So it does not matter whatever season of life you find yourself in, all of us are called to love and lead the family that God entrusts to us. And friends, that includes this church family as well, okay? So that could be a mic drop moment. We'll move on. Number three. Uh, Third, we ought to consider this truth, that God is with us and for us. God is with us and for us. This is how God comes as a member of a family to make us family. Jump in in verse 21. An angel, maybe Gabriel, says... She'll bear a son. This is a reminder from Genesis 3, way back at the beginning of scriptures, uh, when Adam and Eve sin, God promises a son. The angel says, verse 21, she'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, which means God saves. We'll come back to that as well. For he'll save his people from their sins. All this, verse 22, takes place to fulfill what the Lord's spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus, chapter 7, verse 14. This is verse 23, quoting that verse. Behold, this is the point where um, we should use the mind-blown emoji again. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That doesn't happen. That's not how this works. Now, we aren't going to go into all the details, but that's not how it works. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, by the way, we've sung that a couple times. It's been on the screen, but we don't always know what names mean when we say them. We just know, oh, it's Christmas. We use that word. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we need to spend some time together here considering who is Jesus and what does Jesus do? Who is Jesus? Well, this text reminds us that Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, Jesus' life doesn't begin in Mary's womb. No, Jesus is eternally God. He is without beginning or end. He comes down to be God with us, humbling himself, creator Uh, coming into creation to seek and to save and to serve us. Jesus is God with us. Again, not, not one of many gods, but God with us, the only God. And not only does the Bible declare this, Jesus himself declares this, and he does it clearly and emphatically, repeatedly, unapologetically, that he is God with us. To the point that he's actually put to death because he keeps saying it. They, they don't put Jesus to death because he's a, a good guy or a good teacher or a good miracle worker. Um, they put him to death because he won't quit saying that he's God. And then he rises from death forever proving he's God by showing it, conquering our enemies of Satan, sin, death, hell, absorbing God's wrath. That is our cornerstone. That's who Jesus is, Emmanuel, God with us. But identity really shapes activity, right? Who we are shapes what we do. So as Emmanuel, God with us, what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus saves, which means God is for us. Another way we could say this is that Jesus forgives sin, which means God is for us. I do want to say clearly, there is no other salvation and there is no other Savior. It's only Jesus. 
That means there is no other forgiveness of sins and there is no other capital F forgiver. It's only Jesus. You know, sometimes when I speak as a guest in different places, people will remind me that my job is to blow in, blow up, and blow out and let everybody else take care of the mess, all right? And I'm glad to do that. I get to do this all day today. It's wonderful, okay? So what I want to say then is my job today is to tell you the truth, and your job is to make a choice. And here's the deal. We all, myself included, yourself included, and no one excluded, we all need to be saved. We all need to have our sin forgiven, and we cannot save ourselves or one another. We cannot ultimately, finally, fully forgive ourselves or one another. Instead, we need someone, capital S someone, Emmanuel, God with us, to come in and save us. So Jesus lives the sinless life that we could not and chose not to live. He dies the sinner's death that we earn and deserve in our place and for our sin. And Jesus rises from death to life for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sin, and he saves his people. And if you don't know Jesus... See, some of you, I don't, I don't recognize your faces, let alone your names, so I'm making zero assumptions here, all right? If you don't know Jesus, and by the way, sitting in a light blue pew doesn't mean you know Jesus, and having a Bible open in your lap doesn't mean that you know Jesus, and having good church attendance, or serving on this ministry, or on this team, or doing this thing, or thinking good thoughts, or saying good words, or having good deeds, none of that makes you know Jesus, But Jesus knows you, and Jesus loves you, and Jesus is seeking you. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know this. You are living in the path of God's wrath, and hell, not heaven, is on your horizon. There is a Savior for sinners. There is a forgiver of sin. And so I beg you, give all your sin to Jesus and receive all of his uh, salvation as a gift Because Jesus, again, he knows you, and he loves you, and he seeks you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And if this is ringing true in your heart, and I pray that it is, then know Jesus is with you, and he is for you. He is saying, and some of you have done or will do this this week, he's saying, let's exchange gifts. Anybody like a good white elephant gift exchange? I do, because it allows me a chance to get rid of some kind of junk, probably from an old white elephant gift exchange, or something that's outdated, or broken, or obscure, you know, laying around my house, something funny. You know, it's the equivalent of that. Our sin is like the white elephant gift. It's the best we have to offer. It's all we have to offer. And Jesus said, that's fine. Give it all to me. Give me all your sin, and I'm going to give you all my salvation. Give me all your sin and I'll give you all my forgiveness. Look back though in verse 21, he specifically says and reminds us that he will save his people from their sins. So not all people are saved. All people can be saved if they come to Jesus in faith. But listen, Jesus saves his people, his family from their sins. So I have to ask you tonight, are you one of Jesus' people? Is God your father? Is Jesus your big brother? Is the church your family? Has God saved you? Has God forgiven you? If not, best news of all, today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day where your sin is forgiven by Jesus. So yes, of course, there's Mary and Joseph, and we've considered them, but it's always only all about Jesus. And that's why I don't want us to just see sweet little baby Jesus in a manger, ten fingers and toes, and miss the fact that Jesus' same ten fingers and toes are nailed to the cross, that yes, he has his first breath, but with his last breath, he saves his people. Fourth, let's consider number four. Um, This is how God comes as a member of a family to make us family. Let's consider Jesus' family. Jump back into this text with me in verse 24. When Joseph wakes from sleep, I want you to listen to this. When Joseph wakes from sleep, he does, or he did. It probably says he did. Okay, I'm making this a little bit present tense, all right? And if you're the type that stars, circles, marks, highlights, underlines, anything in your Bible, I want you to mark that word. I think in your text it'll say did, okay? 
Why? Why a three-word, a three-letter word, did? Well, I think it's because sometimes some of us think and say too much. Let's, let's ponder on this for just a second. Some of us sometimes, maybe all the time, think and say too much, says the guy, says the guy who's preached this for the fourth time today, all right? But think about it. Am I not even more accountable then, right? Because if we're thinking and, saying and thinking a lot, but we're not doing a lot, some of us honestly think and say too much and we do too little. But faith literally is an inward conviction that is demonstrated in an outward action. And so I love that Joseph doesn't think a lot or say a lot. If memory serves me correctly, I don't even think we have recorded words of Joseph in, in the Bible. But Joseph sure does a lot. And some of you are like this. I know some of you well, so I'll run with this. Some of you are like this. If the Lord says something, I just want to do it. And by God's grace, that's what I'll do. Man, we need more people like you following Jesus. That's for sure. And that's walking by faith. What did this look like for Joseph? For Joseph, it looked like this. Lunchbox in one hand, toolbox in another, all the live long day, (laughs) saying, I will love Mary and together we will raise this God baby Jesus. For the rest of his life, that's what he does. Joseph works with Jesus, and he isn't wasting his time. He's worshiping God through his work. So again, verse 24, Joseph does as the angel of the Lord commands him. What is that? He takes his wife Mary. Again, she's pregnant, maybe even showing by now. But verse 25, he knows her not till when? Till she's given birth to a son, as promised, by the way. And Joseph calls his name Jesus. He saves his people from their sins. We read elsewhere in the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus increases in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man, which means he matures mentally, physically, spiritually, relationally as a godly child, teenager, young adult, adult. Jesus lives without sin, which means kids and teenagers and young adults and adults can all relate to Jesus, and Jesus can relate to all children and teens and young adults and adults, since he's been at those ages and in those stages, he completely and totally understands. But fifth and finally, let's consider number five, this last truth, that Jesus is still with us and for us. Jesus is still with us and for us. The key word in that sentence, of course, is still. Still. Because You know, we begin here in Matthew chapter 1, two sermons in on what will become a very long series in 28 chapters, but I want us to consider what is said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus does save his people from their sins. Jesus does die on the cross in our place and for our sins. Jesus does rise from death to life for our salvation. And before returning to heaven to reign and rule as the king of kings, listen, Jesus knows that we can tend to get the impression that we've been orphaned as children, that we've been left alone, that we've been forsaken. We will tend to feel that way in a world filled with tragedy and trial and trouble and tribulation. We will tend to get the impression that we have been orphaned. And so here is the final promise Jesus gives us in Matthew's gospel. Behold, there's a key word and we should say it together. You shouldn't be surprised what it is. It starts with W ends with I-T-H. I want us to say that together. So I'll start and then we'll say it together. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Redeemer, we are not an orphaned family. Can I, can I always claim a little bit of Redeemer family status? Is that okay? All right, good. It's just better if I can say we, all right? Jesus is still with us and for us. When we gather and scatter as God's people, Jesus is with us and for us. Whether it's all good or all bad or all happy or all sad, Jesus is with us and for us. And so I want to publicly thank the Lord Jesus Christ for always, always, always being with us and being for us. Since God comes to earth as a member of a family to make us family, 
we can do what we've just done. We just opened our Bibles to look at his family, so now we can open our lives to live as his family. Listen, Redeemer, Jesus has been with us and for us since 1998. 1990, now, he's been with us since way before that, but I'm just talking for this church family in particular, 1998. That's 23 years of faithfully being with us and for us as we worship him and connect with him and others and serve him and others. Jesus will be with us and for us from now into eternity and forevermore. And just as Jesus and jo- just as Mary and Joseph welcome Jesus and make room for him, we always welcome Jesus into our church family and make room for him. And I want you to experience this church as family, as brothers and sisters. And as the family grows and matures, it's really something to celebrate. So when people ask you, and I know they do, and I know they will, when people ask you, hey, I've been wondering, what's Redeemer all about? Tell them this. I'm giving you the answer, all right? The answer is this, we're always only all about Jesus because he's for us and he's with us. So we endure in Jesus, we worship Jesus, we serve and give to Jesus, and this is the point where all of God's people say, arousing, amen, right? Let it be so, right on, okay? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move forward together for the rest of our gathering. Father God, thank you for sending your only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, thank you that you're Emmanuel, you're God with us and God for us. Holy Spirit, give us the faith of Joseph and the faith of Mary, simple faith from simple people who simply trust and simply obey, that we would give our sin to Jesus and receive salvation from Jesus, that we would make room in our family and in our church family for Jesus. And Jesus, thank you. Thank you isn't much, but it's all we have. And so we thank you for being with and for this Redeemer Church family. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.